The way to lose money in this business is to run out of friends. And with multifamily apartment in a super prime market, you don't run out of friends because everybody wants to be your friend in terms of lenders and buyers and sellers and investors. And I can go on and on and on people with very deep pockets versus if you are in a more tertiary market, a more tertiary asset class, you have a lot less friends to start with. And the moment the market turns around, uh, your friends start not answering your phone calls as much. So that's my thought on this. It's much more competitive, but I like the competition because it protects you to the downside when things get sticky. That's just my view though. Okay. Break free from modern day slavery. Live the freedom trinity of financial freedom. Time freedom and location freedom. Live in true fulfillment with a foundation of growth and balance in health. Relationships. Spirituality. And having fun doing what you love most. Let us show you the way. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have the man himself, Mr. Hunter Thompson, back in the house. We haven't spoken for a couple of years here on Freedom Hack Radio. Hunter's been up to an abundance of awesome and exciting projects. And I'm really excited to catch up with you today. Hunter, welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, brother. Really good to be back. I've seen you do some awesome things the last couple of years. So excited to have this conversation. Likewise, mate. So for all of those who haven't met Hunter Thompson, please go back and listen to our earlier episode uh, where we took a deep dive on really understanding what's happening in the markets and um, really what's driving a lot of things in the economy. And Hunter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to hear from you before, do you want to give us a quick Hunter Thompson bio? Yeah. So just keeping it brief as possible, gotten this business in the heart of the Great Recession um, was very fortunate because I lived in California and I still do, by the way, but that, that market was so devastated by what had happened that a lot of the really bad strategies got wiped out right before I got into the business. So when I started building my network, instantly I was tapping to some very savvy, sophisticated investors and operators that were usually investing in hundred plus units, uh, multifamily self-storage mobile home parks. So I was very fortunate, got to leapfrog a lot of those more uh, novice or beginner strategies. And the first deals I invested in as an LP investor was, you know, 15 to $50 million properties. And so uh, have a very interesting view about the economy, which is, I know what we want to talk about today and um, building that view into an investment thesis that focuses on recession resistant niches. And so that's what we do at ASIM Capital, which is my private equity company, where I've raised $70 million from almost 500 investors. Yeah, and you guys are growing quickly. You're doing an amazing job. Uh, you guys really, really rocking hard. Love it. Um, so on the economic side of things, we've, we've spoken about this a lot before, but I'm curious to, to see where are you at today? Like we both share the same philosophy and recession resistance. I'm super very concerned about like where we're coming in the future. And, and I want to make sure that I'm mitigating and getting through all of these risks. What's got you most concerned right now? What are you looking at? And, um, you know, along the lines of what should we really be worried about or concerned about? So I want to kind of put this into two different segments. So I'm a big proponent of Austrian econ economics, and I feel like many of the ways the system is set up really is a disincentivized structure that rewards bad behavior and when it comes to politicians and central banks. But so that's one part of the conversation, which I'm happy to have. I'm happy to have with anybody. It doesn't make you a very popular person at dinner parties, but I'm always happy to have that conversation. The other part of the conversation, though, is how to play the game and make money. And sometimes these things are at odds. And I'll give you an example. When I see 8% inflation in CPI, this is heartbreaking for me as someone who deeply cares about others, right? When you have someone's income eroded by 8% per year and they're getting 4% raises a year, they're getting destroyed, especially if they don't own assets that increase with inflation. 
And so if you're on fixed income, if you're in lower middle incomes and you haven't been saving and you haven't been, I wouldn't say saving, if you haven't been buying and investing significant assets that will increase with, with um, inflation, then you're getting just destroyed in terms of your net worth, your implied net worth, your purchasing power net worth. Now, on the other side of this though, is if the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, I personally am not going to be on the losing side of that argument, no matter what I think about how moral it is, what the central banks are doing. So inflation is actually extremely good for real estate investors. It's not a wash. It's not all things are pretty much equal. In expenses go up by 8%. Inflation is up by 8%. It's a wash. No, there are three main factors why inflation is actually a massive tailwind. One, of course, is what most people think about when they think about CPI, consumer price index, right? So the cost of things increasing by 8%. So when rents go up, if they were to go up with that rate for an extended period of time, it isn't the case that expenses will increase on a one-to-one -one basis when it comes to the net. So what I mean by that is that sure, even if you have a 50-50 operating expense ratio, only half of the gross is going towards expenses. So if you're compounding at 8% per year, where only half of it's going away to expenses, and that number is compounding on half at 8% versus the gross, which is compounding at 8% on the top line, you are going to benefit massively. So that's the first part of that. The second part is asset price inflation. Not only does the rental income increase, but when the Fed prints money and there's a bunch of dry powder, people are willing to pay more for the same stream of income. That's the second part. And the third part is one that almost no one talks about, which is inflationary debt destruction. If I lend you $10 million and you say you're going to pay me back in 100 years, start immediately the wheels start turning. Wait a minute. You're going to pay them how much back in 100 years? If it's just $10 million, maybe you can buy a carrot with $10 million, right? Well, when inflation is taking place at historically significant levels, let's say 40-year highs, the purchasing power of the dollars I owe back to the bank is being eroded so much so that if it was at 8% per year for five or six or seven years, it's half as valuable to the bank and to me, meaning that I can buy an asset with debt that will increase in terms of rent, that will increase in terms of asset price. And then also the money I pay the bank back with may be able to buy them a carrot. And so I'm winning on all three ways. So that's like a quick summary of where I think we currently are. I'm happy to talk about the risk in the economy, but that's a the inflation topic is something that a lot of people are interested in right now. Where do you think interest rates are going? You know, I know the Fed called, yeah, we're going to raise it X amount of times this year, probably like three, four more times next year and the year after. That's what they've said. But I've heard some like pretty convincing arguments stating that the, there's a certain point that interest rates can actually be raised until it causes too much problems for those who are raising it. And that has something to do tied with like the euro dollar. I'm just curious to, to think of what your opinion is of if we're actually, you think this increase of interest rates is going to continue for how long and what's your thoughts on that? So I might not be the perfect person to ask because I have been wrong about some of the, any economic claims that anyone makes is going to be wrong. Generally speaking, <laughs> I just given enough time. So, um, but when I look at this, I was lucky enough to interview Ethan Penner uh, a while back. And I have another interview coming up with him as well. He's the person that's credited with inventing commercial mortgage-backed securities in the eighties, uh, like a top 100 most influential person in real estate from my perspective. Um, in our first interview, he talked about looking at the 100-year federal funds rate. And if you look at that chart, it paints a really interesting picture. You see this kind of uptick, significant uptick in the 70s that's extremely significant. And then a 40-year, 50-year downward trajectory down into the right. And if you were to, let's say, just remove that massive uptick in the 70s, it would generally look like a slope down to the right. But for sure, over the last 50 years, it's been down to the right. And for during every single one of those 50 years, someone was saying, when are we going to see historically 
you know, are we going to see another 17% interest rate? Are we going to see 15%? Are we going to see, okay, fine. 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Like that's what's been happening over the last 50 years. And the people that have been claiming that, but far more importantly, the people that have been investing like we're about to see 8% federal funds rate have been making incorrect investments. Maybe they were right, but it certainly didn't play out like that. So the way that I view this topic, I think politicians are incentivized to keep the money printing going and to smash interest rates down and to the right forever. And I think that the question of when are we going to see rates get back to historical averages is a question like if you look at the stock price of Tesla, and I don't do this frequently, but you get the point. Let's say it was at like 30, 10 years ago, and now it's at a thousand. If you were to say when it's going to go back to the average, it's like <laughs> the average is not what matters. The trend is what matters. Like it is not going back to the average of whatever that average would be 500. Um, and I don't know that the exact number is like that, but you get the point. So when I see interest rates rising, from my view, in today's political environment, when the Fed and the political realm are so intermingled, the only reason politicians raise rates is so that they can lower them, in my view. And I think those asking questions about when rates are going to return to, quote, historical averages should be asking when are rates going to go negative. And I think that is a possibility over an infinite time horizon. When I look at the industrialized countries in this nation, in this world, they're almost all zero or negative. So I personally think, to your question about the euro dollar, just interviewed Neil Bawa about a topic related to this. When I see international turmoil, countries all around the world having liquidity crises and are on the brink of insolvency, the United States dollar and the strength of the dollar puts them in a very challenging situation. And so the United States is not incentivized to crush everyone's economy because they will eventually crush their own. So I think that that, I think that soon the tune will change and we'll be back to the easy money strategies that were basically revealed for the first time in 2008. Meaning you, you're talking about going back to money printing? Is that I what you're think, talking about? Like interest well, rates will back off and then there are other yes. to pull is money printing and they'll probably go bananas on that. I believe that to be the case. And I think that when 2008, 9, and 10 happened, there was this moment where someone like myself was like, okay, we're entering a new world of quantitative easing. This is the new playbook for the central banks. And so when 2020 happened, it was like, now it's for sure true. And if you look at the Fed balance sheet, which was at like 800 billion, and then it jumps to 4 trillion, and then it jumps to 9 trillion, the jumps become bigger and bigger and bigger. And I also think that that's a trend that's going to have to happen. That's it, which is absolute destruction of the, the purchasing power of the US dollar. Exactly, which is really bad for people that don't have assets, which can offset that. So if you're listening to this right now, it's not that I'm super, super concerned. It's just that you have to be able to play the game through this lens. And it's really unfortunate that this is not being taught in school because people are at a huge disadvantage if they think they can just hoard cash, for example, which is what a lot of people are taught. Yeah, and I believe that we're not taught this at school on purpose because they want us to be employees. They don't want us to live free because then we don't need them as much. And that's why I actually teach fi financial freedom mastery to teach people what we haven't learned in school. And it's not even like that complex of information. I think it's very close within our reach. So for the people that are out there looking to join investments right now, that are looking to invest with other operators, they're looking at deals, maybe they're looking at some multifamily apartments or mobile home parks or some other uh, real estate investments or maybe other investments, what kind of metrics do, are you looking for right now as a passive investor um, that gives you confidence in the operator that they're not only going to be able to weather the storm of what's coming, but they'll actually thrive through it? Well, you know, the defensive strategies tend to work really, really well, and especially on a risk-adjusted basis. So, you know, just going back, we 
have to kind of, we can't overstate that my career started when it started, because if I'm being completely transparent, if I was a little bit older, moved to California in 2003, started to get momentum and interest in the real estate sector, the likelihood that I would be sitting here having this conversation without like three bankruptcies on my record is very low. Let's just be honest about it. Think about what that was like, 2003 and four and five, living in California. Everybody you know, including a lot of people that are not nearly as savvy as you, are literally printing money, flipping houses that they don't even touch. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, hand over fist, every 30 days, the same property is flipping without even being renovated. It's like, I'm sure that I would have participated because I had inclinations towards the real estate and finance sector. So we just got to be humble about that, right? But I didn't. And so what happened was what happened in the economy significantly played a role in my thesis about investing. And so my view is that I'm willing to give up the potential upside of some of the things that come along with the more cyclical assets, like investing in development or hotels or land entitlement, and particularly leveraged land entitlement, where you know, some of the richest people in the world are developers. But if I can just clip along slow and steady somewhere between a 12 and a 16% IRR, but in all stages of the economic climate, I'm going to be really happy uh, in 30 years, which is totally fine. The likelihood of success is very, very high in that scenario. So with that lens, you know, I would say the mobile home park business, which I know you're a big proponent of, I quite like multifamily apartments, especially in today's climate, which we can talk about, uh, self-storage as well. And then I also do some unique things in the ATM space and, and Bitcoin mining as well. So let's actually talk about the apartment space because this is a place that uh, I'm not an expert in. It's very similar to mobile home parks. I see a lot of deals right now that if the uh, if asset prices keep increasing, if cap rates still stay compressed and the demand stays there, then it seems like business plans will totally pull off and it would be amazing and that these multifamily apartments will be very profitable. However, what I'm seeing personally, and this is just my opinion, when I'm looking at a lot of these multifamily deals is if the markets turn, I don't know if many of these operators are going to hit their projections. That's just my thoughts. Um, and I'm a little bit apprehensive about the multifamily space. And maybe it's because I'm not an expert on it. But so many multifamily people are really, really excited about where they're positioned right now. So can you give me your two cents on, on all of that? So I just because of how many interviews I've done, not myself, but interviewing some really savvy people, <clears throat> it's including yourself, by the way, I have come to find that the vehicle is not the answer. And if you chase the vehicle, it will lead you down some really bad paths. And by the way, get you involved in some really bad partnerships. What really matters is who you want to work with and who you want to spend your time with and who you want to emulate and who you want to be around and do they actually have your core values those are far more important questions than do you like 40 unit apartments or 30 unit apartments it's just not consequential having said all of that um the cap rate compression that's taken place in all asset classes makes multifamily more compelling now than i think it was let's say 4 years ago and especially like 10 years ago so when I started investing in mobile home parks, I mean, I know you purchased some like 13% cap rate mobile home parks. That was like, to me, I was like getting into the business. I'm like, dude, we don't even have to use debt and we can get 13% cash on cash returns if we go to sleep at the wheel the moment we buy the property. But at the time, let's say multifamily apartments were like six caps. Now everything's been smushed down to where instead of there being a 700 basis point difference between a multifamily apartment and in a mobile home park, now there may be a 50 basis point difference between the two. Now, everybody's strategy is different. In some markets, this doesn't apply, but there's definitely markets, especially in prime markets, where you can buy a multifamily apartment for a 3.5 cap versus a mobile home park at a four cap. And if that's the case, in that scenario, I far more prefer the mobile home park, excuse me, the multifamily apartments, uh, because of the way to lose money in this business is to run out of friends. And with multifamily apartment in a super prime market, you don't run out of friends because everybody wants to be your friend in terms of lenders and buyers and sellers and investors. And I can go on and on and on people with very deep pockets versus if you are in a more tertiary market, a more tertiary asset class, 
you have a lot less friends to start with. And the moment the market turns around, uh, your friends start not answering your phone calls as much. So that's my thought on this. It's much more competitive, but I like the competition because it protects you to the downside when things get sticky. That's just my view though. Okay. Interesting. So you mentioned mobile home parks, multifamily apartments, ATMs, Bitcoin mining. Is there anything else that's on your radar or on the horizon? Hmm. Well, let's talk about one more thing in here. So I have never invested in class A anything, maybe in self-storage, but nobody cares. Okay. Nobody goes there. So it doesn't really matter. Um, similarly to the conversation we we're just having, I am feeling myself compelled to that thesis now. And what is crazy to me is that I'm thinking about this. I had someone on my show recently and I was like talking about class A and how I thought, you know, maybe this is interesting. The cap rates are being so compressed. Maybe pursuing class A is interesting now. And he said, well, you know, you can do value add class A that's 2000 build now. I was like, what? 2000, that's like what, five years ago. He's like, no, dude, if you build a property in 20." in 2000, it's now 22 years old. There's an opportunity for like a light value add in class A multifamily. And I was like, oh, interesting. You could renovate and bring a class A asset up to like today's electronics, you know, maybe some lead stuff. So I'm thinking about looking at some of that. And I have some operators that, you know, we're conducting due diligence on, but I've never done it. And I've always wanted to be super in class B or below just because of the, the number of friends you have in that asset class. But that's, um, those are some of the things I've been thinking about recently. Because there was an abundance of apartments built in 20, in 2000. Is that? Oh, why? it's just because they're outdated. Yeah. They're, which is crazy. It's mind blowing to me. Cause when I think of the year 2000, I think it was like eight years ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but, uh, you know, when you think about electronics, when you think about, you know, just the design, you know, the quote modern design, which is kind of not in anymore. It's a little bit different. You don't want to see as many glossy, um, glossy finishes. It's slightly different. And if someone is looking at a 2000s build versus a 2022 build, there's a difference. And that would be a very light renovation. But you also now you're not seeing people develop those 2000s builds either because it's just interesting. The market evolves. When I think of value add multifamily, I think, okay, 1975, 1989, somewhere in that range. But eventually people will be like, oh, 2000s, that's class C. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, you're recession resistant. I think I might know the answer to this because you might have already touched on it already. But class A, does that concern you a little bit coming into a potentially recessionary? Well, I think we're in a recession already, but that kind of environment where people are downgrading and downsizing, does it concern you to keep the occupancy at class A properties? It definitely is, is part of the research we're doing right now. But what we're seeing is maybe that is where the opportunity might be created for the first time in a long time where you could not necessarily see distress there, but a pause, a breath of fresh air when this market has been so hot and competitive, especially in prime markets. So it, it absolutely is part of the thinking where uh, let's just summarize it for the listeners. If everyone that's making $50,000 a year starts making $60,000 a year and everyone that's making 70 starts making 50, class B is still 100% good to go. You're not going to, the thesis is you wouldn't expect a sneeze in rental rates. You would expect some turnover, which is not fun and concessions, which are not fun, but you wouldn't expect there to be a significant reduction in rental rates, which is historically true. In class A, if everyone that's making 100 starts making 80, you could see a significant reduction in rental rates because you're catering to you know, the top 10% of the market. So there's no one above the top 10%, right? There's not a bulk of buyers or renters atop, above the top 10%. So it's an interesting dynamic. Um, and I'm not the expert in the topic, but I'll, I'll just kind of give you some caveats to that. When COVID happened, for example, you know, Class A performed very, very well because most of the renters were not impacted in terms of their jobs versus class B, where you have a lot more hourly paying jobs. You have a lot more manual labor jobs, many of which were shut down during 2020. Of course, it's a very much an aberration, but you get where I'm going with this. It's something that's definitely got my attention, especially now that Phoenix, for example, which is a market I'm very bullish on, is really cooling off almost exclusively in class A, to your point. 
but perhaps it'd be interesting to entertain to look into that market now, given that that cooling off is taking place in a market that is just booming from sound fundamentals, which I'm, I'm super confident that market's going to do very well over the next couple of years. Which market is that? Oh, Phoenix. Phoenix. Yep. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. And I know you've, you've got a pretty heavy footprint there right now, haven't you? I want more for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. It seems to be a lot of real estate in like, you know, kind of real estate investors with status moving to, um, or already living in Phoenix too. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. So, uh, raise masters. That is an awesome, amazing group that you've actually put together. I don't know how many people are in raise masters now, 200 and something. Something like that. I think 260, 260 active members. Wow, dude. 260 active members of really kick butt capital raises. And you've got some really high profile people in there. It's an amazing, amazing group of people. What, in, what inspired you to start this group? First of all, thanks. And for the listeners, you are an awesome member as well. You're one of those <laughs> high profile people in there, which is cool. Um, so the answer to your question is twofold. Raising capital is the single most lucrative and sought after skill in the world. And I've done a lot of real estate studying, a lot of real estate courses, and they all have you know, how to talk to brokers, how to find a good market, what is a cap rate. And then at the bottom, it's like how to raise money. It's this little like three video series. And you're like, very quickly, as soon as you do your first deal, you recognize the one thing that's going to move the needle in your business is how to raise more money. And yet most real estate instruction is trying to get you to that first deal, which is super, super important because most people do not have a deal. And so if you can get them one, it's like a hundred percent increase, right? But to scale, there's only one thing that matters. Who can snap their fingers and bring millions of dollars to the table? Mm-hmm. And whoever can do it more will buy more properties. That's just the reality situation. <clears throat> so we saw a massive opportunity in the marketplace, which was to go all in on that niche. I wrote a book about the topic, which is called Raising Capital for Real Estate. You can get it at raisingcapitalforrealestate.com. It's eight bucks. It's like everything I know about the topic. But everything I know about the topic is not an easy thing to do. The book is very dense, very detailed. And it's just like, Step one, this, that, step two, step three. But we wanted to create Raise Masters because doing those steps, this is a complicated, challenging business and going down the wrong path can cost you a ton of time. And navigating this stuff is, is very difficult to do on your own. It's already lonely enough as an entrepreneur. You don't have to figure this stuff out on your own. And so we created Raise Masters. The goal was to have 50 members in the first three years. I think we hit 50 members in three months and- then we just kind of took off like a rocket ship. And the reason is the members, I learned something in every single meeting. You and I were talking off camera about a strategy that I've never implemented that I know people that raised tens of millions of dollars. So it's like, well, maybe I should start doing that too. You know? So that's why I like it. And this, you, it's so <clears throat> content dense. You provide so much value from so many different angles and so many different formats that if someone is like, I would just say straight up, if someone's looking to raise capital, like this is the course. And it's kind of funny that I'm saying that because I've got my own capital raising course, but I'm telling you, take Hunter's course and, and go join Raise Masters because it's like, it's like the cream of the crop. Like you're not going to find oh, anything better anywhere else. And if someone is like looking to break into the space and they've got all the time on their hands, there is so much content to dig into and there's, it's all actionable. So you could literally as a full-time job, take the courses, do all the content and then implement it all and build a business very quickly. But on the flip side of the coin, if you're extremely busy, like I am, it's also really amazing to be part of Maze Masters because there's all these different components like Slack channel and and different areas where we can go to a group of like 200, 260 high profile people that can solve problems like that. Like I've come to the table if I've got a problem and then like within five, 10 minutes, maybe a couple of hours, there's three, four, five, 10 responses. And um, to be able to solve problems like that is just 
Absolutely phenomenal. And one thing I can absolutely guarantee as an entrepreneur, investor, business owner, there's going to be challenges. It's 50% reward, 50% challenges. And to be able to like solve challenges and solve problems or want to implement something into our business, but not go through the, um, the monotonous process of trying to find the right people who are going to be the best fit for that to solve that problem. Um, and then join Raise Masters and you can actually shortcut that because people are like, oh, here's the best person in the industry and you get connected. And so if you're really busy and you don't have time to do a lot of stuff, but you're ready to implement all these systems and put your business on steroids, it's the course. And if you've got tons of time, it's also like the course or the group. And I just, I can't thank you enough for putting this together, dude. Like, I don't even know if you sleep because you put so much content out there, bro. And you provide so much value and you're such an authentic guy. And I'm not at all surprised why you have attracted such an amazing group of people. Dude, that's really nice. I, I sincerely appreciate it. And we did work super hard on it, but it just goes to show you, you know, if you put your heart and soul into something that is going to add value to the marketplace, I mean, Bryce, you know, it means a ton to me for you here to say that, like as an entrepreneur, you, you can, you're going to hear things like that. If you do it, if you go all in and try to over deliver and you know what you're talking about, there's going to be people in your life that say things like what Bryce just said to me, which is really impactful. And I should say, we do have a referral program. So with what he just said, <laughs> uh, and I, he wasn't even aware of this probably, but if you say Bryce sent you or Bryce one, two, three is his code. When you kind of go through it, um, you know, we'll give him a referral thing. So thanks Bryce for, thanks for saying that. Yeah. And seriously, like you touched on it before you said that capital raising is one of, if not the most lucrative way to make money. I'm a, owner operator i own mobile home parks we've got asset management company property management companies and and so i make money as an operator by doing what i'm implementing in my deals but i also make money from the raising capital side of things and i tell you what it is like if someone is join is entering uh the investing space or business space right now and they're like where should i start i'll just be like dude raising capital like all day long because i think it's the biggest bang for your buck it's the biggest return on investment um it's the best way to create an abundance of wealth in a short period of time with not that much of your time right. and the really amazing key to it is if you can raise capital for a mobile home park you can go raise capital for a cannabis cultivation facility, a startup company. It's interchangeable in like any business. The skill is so unique. And like Hunter said before, when you have the capacity to raise millions, tens of millions, and if you have the ability to raise hundreds of millions, it's like game over. Everybody is going to want to do business with you. And, um, and also on the flip side of that, if you have the capacity to raise that much money, that means you've got a decent amount of investors behind you that you get to help improve their life. You get to create financial freedom for them expand their wealth and improve their life so they can live better, which is fulfilling the things that concern you about people who aren't taking care of themselves financially. So I can really see how this lives into your mission. And it's uh, it, it checks all the boxes for me, man. And it's, it's really an amazing, amazing course. And I'm only just getting started. So, you know, give me 12 months and uh, yeah. we're going to have you back on. I'm going to talk more about all of the amazing things I've created as a result. Cool. Well, dude, you're speaking my language. I agree with everything you just said. Um, there's one extra piece of that, which you're, you're so right about the investors and to, you know, a lot of us listening to this show, we feel like we're called to help people get money out of the stock market casino and get them into these investments, especially predictable cash flow focused investments. The other cool thing though, about what you just said is that if you can raise money, not only does everyone want to work with you, that benefits you massively in terms of your network because it does go back and I'm joking around a little bit when I say it, but like the number of friends you have matters tremendously in terms of protecting your butt when things go wrong. So because of the fact that I have raised capital for a lot of different operators, if something were to go wrong with the property, I have a lot of people that are very well financed that can potentially help me and they do too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's good from a lifestyle design perspective to focus on that skill. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people to help there to solve your problems. Exactly. So, so what's got you most excited about the next 12 months, brother? I have, I'm currently dealing um, with, you know, one of many entrepreneurial challenges that are difficult to overcome. You know, there's um, 
properties that are doing incredibly well. There's properties that are, we have a, you know, the senior living business was hit very hard by COVID. And so that's the entire industry as a whole. And so it's when I wake up and I know that we have properties that we are just, we have to fight tooth and nail. Um, that is a massive responsibility. And because we accepted investor capital and, and made promises on that capital, even if the entire industry is struggling, it doesn't matter to me. We have to overcome this challenge. And so that's something that I'm excited to do. And over the next 12 months, that will be a major accomplishment when we do kind of get out of that, which I know we will. Um, on the other side of it, though, is like the upside, right? Like the opportunity in Raise Masters is so pronounced. I think, I honestly think we'll triple in the next 12, 12 to 24 months, as crazy as that sounds, it's just the opportunity is really there. And so both I'm very grateful for. Uh, this is just the nature of the game we're playing. So I'm just very grateful for the stakes. I'm very grateful for the stakes at which I'm able to play. Um, I had, I ran a marathon a couple of years ago and I was able to get coached by, and this is not any kind of flex. It's not, it's a hundred dollars a month. It's not that big a deal, but you could go on Instagram and, and get a coach from, someone to run a marathon that is an Olympic level athlete. And I was able to get coached by an Olympic trials competitor. And she not only made the Olympic trials, she went and ran in Atlanta in the biggest race of her life and, and got a do not finish. She didn't finish the biggest race of her life after working years to qualify and, you know, Olympic trials and just that whole thing. And there's this photo of her. It's just like, so epic. She's like on the 15 mile mark, She's like walking. It's like the shade is like, you can see she's like crying. And I was just like, man, I hope she recognizes how, how grateful she should be for the stakes, right? Like that moment of darkness, like, you know, how hard you have to go in life to be at that moment of darkness. Like those challenges are not only just like an, un, it's not like some needle in the side. It's like, that is the whole point to play at the highest of levels and part of playing at those levels is you have those moments, but my gosh, are we grateful that we are able to play at that level? You know? So if you're going through one of those right now and you're listening to this, um, that's just the nature of the game. And if you're not, hopefully you're going to, if you do it right. <laughs> and all of these challenges are put in place on purpose because they're an ability for us to grow if we stand up to the challenges. Um, and there's certainly a lot of like challenges and pressures and everything being pushed and forced on us right now, especially everything from the media as a lot of people get sucked into social media and mainstream. And um, what are you doing right now? And what would you suggest for people to keep grounded with all the kind of chaos that's kind of going on? It's not even that bad just yet. I think it's going to get a lot worse, but I think a lot of people are having a little bit of a hard time staying grounded and staying emotionally stable with bad news or even the thoughts of like, oh my i'm like worried about money and stuff like that like what do you do to stay grounded and what do you think other people could do well i don't have this like super exhaustive morning routine but there is a lot of science so there's this concept called hrv which is the heart rate variability which is basically the number the distance of time between your heart rates not the number of heart rates you have per minute but the distance of time per heart rate and the cadence of that. Mm -hmm. And there's a direct link to that and to seeing how stressed out and how overtrained you are. So it's like the number one metric that endurance athletes use to find out if they should have a really hard day or a really soft day. And it has also been proven scientifically that meditation as little as 10 minutes can reduce your heart rate variability. Is it reduce or increase? Either way, it's to make it better. So you can take 10 minutes and like bring yourself down and stress by like 20% just by breathing. So there's apps for this, like headspace, you know, it's whatever, $10 a month. And I do that every morning and I journal every morning with an app called the five minute journal. And those things really, really help me. I've never was that kind of guy. I always thought it was kind of like hoo hoo stuff, but I experienced like a significant increase in my cognitive ability after doing that. So if you're struggling with stress, if you're struggling with you know, not having a good start to your day. That's like a hack. It's basically free. And the upside is pretty significant. And I know like you like doing CrossFit style workouts too. So, yeah. so working out, breathing totally. exercises, journaling and meditation. I forgot. That's a, probably the, by far the most important. If you work out and go full send, um, everything else in your life seems to fit a lot better because 
it makes you eat a lot better. It makes you sleep a lot better. And if you're putting yourself in a quasi life or death situation, whether it be through cardio or putting a lot of weight on your back, um, everything else is a lot easier. And so not only does it like help from a lifestyle design perspective, there was recently Huberman did a podcast about this in terms of age and you're like the, what kind of life you want to live and when you, your age arc basically like what's important to you It's important to be able to play with your grandchildren when you're 80, it does playing with them include picking them up. Okay. Well then we need to reverse engineer what you would need to do now to be in that position later. And they did a tremendous amount of study and kind of data analysis, meta-analysis on this topic and strength training, which is very specific, is by far the most important needle mover. And so strength training is sets of six or less. So not typical hypertrophy, which is training for like sets of eight or 12, not endurance training, which is like, you know, running exhaustive miles. It's super slow rest periods and heavy ass i don't know if i can cuss heavy ass totally weights did. it's freedom <laughs> hack radio man so, and that's psychological too to go there especially totally. if you're doing like a one rep or a two rep max i mean like that's yeah. you're going to a, a deep place psychologically exactly what really helps later in life is that it drastically increases the density of your bones mm. and so when you get older you find that people break their bones very easily and this sucks so if you're older and you take a little bit of a spill, like all of us do, you and I have fallen down probably eight times, 10 times this year. It doesn't matter to us, but dude, let's say you fall down a little bit more. And every time you do that, you break a bone. It is not fun. Mm. But if you're training strength now, when you're a little younger, you can get gains that will last the rest of your life. And I actually know someone that got hit by a truck and I'm confident. And the doctor said this, they're confident he would not have made it unless he was, he was jacked, ripped strength training, dude, and literally took a truck to the face and now he's fine. So like mm -hmm. that stuff lives on. So big proponent of that as well. Yeah. And I think to add on to all of the points you were saying there, I find, cause I've got a lot of energy and I, I need to channel my energy appropriately. Otherwise people might get the raw end of the stick <laughs> and it's not totally. a good way for me to um, yeah. channel my energy that way too, if I don't use it effectively. So if I go for a good run, or if I smash a good workout, I get to release a lot of maybe negative emotions and like stuff that's been bothering me and get a whole bunch of energy out. Otherwise I'm this like stored ball of energy. And I know if I like haven't worked out for long enough, I can like really get like super built up. And I don't know if it's like a personality thing or a masculine thing, but I find that that's super beneficial too. to like have that release because I can be, I could be super frustrated or, or angry or worked up about a whole bunch of challenges that have gone wrong through business, smash a workout. And then I'm like floating on the clouds, man. I'm like happy days. Totally. Can I make a comment as well? Because I know we're going off topic a little bit, but this is your podcast. So I think we get to talk about some different stuff. I just want to give a shout out to the ladies because I think when women hear this, especially when it comes to strength training and sets of six, like what? Like when would a woman ever do that? Um, number one, it is, it's in. All right. Number one, it is absolutely in, but also from like a, a mental standpoint, I think women, especially earlier in their lives, they're kind of, told to be small physically emotionally like they they're like i think there's some real truth to that and there's something really special about strength training to overcome some of that earlier guidance which is not cool it's cool to feel like a strong like central nervous system dense bones person and um, I think that's really good for girls to hear. You can lift and not get like that crazy look that when everyone's doing steroids, that is not what happens. Trust me, Bryce and I are trying <laughs> as best as we can to get big. Without steroids, especially women do not get that look. And strength training doesn't give you that hypertrophic look. Um, sets of like one, two, three, four, five, six give you density which is a cool cosmetic look as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and I can't think of the name of this lady right now, but she is like the reigning female champion of CrossFit. And she's an Aussie, Aussie girl. And she's just been kicking butt over the last few years. And I've actually watched her recently and I've been inspired because she's doing better than a lot of the guys and <laughs> she's more inspirational and to watch her like push through and do what she does. It's just super inspiring and phenomenal. And totally. so I would say like, at least in the CrossFit world, 
um, it definitely is in. And it's, um, there's a lot of girls like, they'll give you a run for your money for sure. Oh, of course. And I think it's awesome. It's inspirational. Same. Right. So what, what other things are you doing? Spending your time, man. Cause like you're always out there, you, you're building businesses, you're working out. Like, do you have any time to have fun or hmm. good, good question. So I'll be honest about that. So there's a couple of buckets that like, I think most people think about in terms of their life. And it's just not possible to have all the buckets filled at the same time. And I think people are starting to come around to this because this concept of work-life balance, which got super, super popular as kind of the internet got popular and people were thinking, hey, I can kind of live a, a balanced life at the same time. It is true, you can, but not if you want to accomplish incredible things that are noteworthy from my perspective, not all at once. Meaning that, trust me, when I launched a business, but the goal was to have 50 clients in three years, and we hit 260 in 19 months, we, I was not in a state of balance during that period of time. It was not possible to do, accomplish both of that and also be uh, you know, working out a ton, being a perfect husband, being there for my family, being a really good friend. It's just not possible to do all those things at once, but it's okay to go out of balance in order to accomplish incredible things in any of those sectors, by the way. For a, but, for a determined period of time, yeah? Exactly, exactly. And this is something that Russell Brunson, who's a mentor of mine, basically did a presentation about. He's like, look, if at any point you're going to jeopardize the things that you want to be most proud of in your life, you need to cut off whatever the thing is that you're pursuing, mostly entrepreneurship, in exchange to get that back in balance. Because if you put some of these things out of balance for too long, you will lose mm -hmm. something that you have otherwise thought of you would have been most proud of when you pass away, AKA, I'm not a father, but being a father, being a good husband, friendships that you've created over the years, being a good son, those types of things can, if they go out of balance for too long, be over forever. And you, know, you can do ir irreparable damage in pursuit of especially when it comes to me, at least in pursuit of like financial goals, success, those types of things. So with that in mind, though, there's this extra element that I'm learning more about now, which is that there's another piece of this bucket. Like imagine a pie chart and you have the four pieces or five pieces and there's like lines in the middle. Those lines are actually important as well because sometimes you can try to game the system and have a really bad life. You can be like, I'm super there for my, my wife. I'm, I'm crushing the gym. I'm working out super hard. And there's this something else that I can't quite put my finger on that's like your soul that needs <laughs> a little bit of downtime. I'll give an example. If you super obsess over productivity and every call you have is back to back to back to back, you're going to burn out. You need a little bit of time. And this is probably not relevant to many of the people listening to this because most people haven't tried to, to optimize their life in that particular capacity, nor do I suggest you do it. But like, I needed to take a little bit of time to BS around a little bit. I needed to stop getting Postmates cold brew delivered directly to my house. Maybe I'll actually go to Starbucks. Maybe I will get on Instagram for 15 minutes and just BS around just a little bit because I felt myself trying to live like that like balanced working out husband success, working out husband success thing. And I just, there was something missing, which is just a little bit of, can we Having chill fun, out man. on Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's like playing with the dogs, man. Or just like, yeah, exactly. just, just chilling out. Um, but, you know, growing these businesses and being an entrepreneur, especially at your capacity, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it like your, your reason why is way bigger than you. There's no way that if you were doing this just for you, you would handle all the complexities um, sustainably that you have to handle. What, what's your big motivator behind building your business? So I'm going to say what I think is the absolute truth. And hopefully some people really resonate with it, even though it's not what most people say. So you're absolutely right in terms of it's not about me. Um, when I mentioned kind of raise masters, the goal, because I know you're in it. So it's kind of something we're both familiar with. So if we did hit 50 members in three years and I was going to be happy with that financially, what in the world would have driven me to kind of do what we had to do to get it to where it is? And the answer is what you said about it. 
what you were saying. Like, how many stories do I want to create like the one you just shared with me that it's helped your business, that you're able to get answers to your questions, that you're able to succeed and get money out of the stock market for your clients? How much more of that would you want? The goal is 50. So would you, 51, would that do it? 52? The, the answer is a lot more. <laughs> and that it's multiples, whatever I had multiples, because there is no end to that, which can be an interesting dynamic as an entrepreneur, where you start to be like, wait a minute, there's no end here. Because there, there isn't. <laughs> because it's only multiples, only more three times, 10 times, whatever it is. And so that is an interesting game. But um, I also love the game. And so if we had accomplished 50 members in three years, and I knew it was because we did our best and fired on all cylinders, I would be super happy with that. Mm -hmm. But that is not what's going on. Um, it, there, we have a ton more to do. There's so many ways I can supercharge Raise Masters. I've got so many ideas that are low-hanging fruit, like a, a year of low-hanging fruit that we're going to implement over the next year. And so I would be terribly disappointed if we didn't do that because it's not good for the game, the game of business. And so and it's not good for the game of, you know, fulfilling on our clients. It's to gamify that experience. Like how quickly can we have someone like you, you've already had quite a bit of success when you joined. So a couple little tweaks and you're like, holy crap, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to take someone who's like, what is a cap rate and have them be like, whoa, I'm now a full-time entrepreneur. If I could like solve that problem, which is difficult mm. in real estate in particular, this isn't like, let's say business coaching where you get your first client, you make your first 10 grand and you're like, holy crap, I did it. It takes time, right? Like Rod Cleef in the first year of real estate, I think Rod Cleef has a probably $500 million of real estate. You know how much money he made in real estate his first year, eight grand. So that would have sucked, right? If he paid Raise Masters 30 grand, he makes eight grand and he's like, dang it, like this is not a good investment. So we want to gamify this to make this like a massive, massive return on investment. And we're going to continue to do so. And what are you seeing? Like, obviously there's varied results for, through the group. There's people at different levels. Yeah. People that are starting that like don't know what a cap rate is and they're starting fresh out of the gate. What kind of trends are you seeing until from like when they join Raise Masters until they're doing their first deal? So I don't have the exact data on that. So I don't want to like mislead anybody, but our, most of our marketing is catering to people that have already have a bit of momentum and are now realizing they need more money to scale. So we actually don't talk about what a cap rate is in Raise Masters. We may create like another course, a program for getting that first part solved. But when I originally launched it and still to this day, you know, the title is Raise Masters, the number one mastermind for elite capital raisers, not how to make your first 10K in real estate. And so I'm not so sure that we're going to go all in on that particular strategy. But, um, you know, the average, after being in Raise Masters, the average person has raised about 2.5 million or so. And that's excluding massive outliers. Like we had someone that raised $50 million their first six months, like excluding myself, excluding some of the people that coach. So that's pretty good for someone who is just getting started because that's probably like a 10 X return on their investment. So that's awesome. Right. But there's a lot of people that have already raised 50 million that would not be impressed by that statistic. So we don't really lead with it, but if people are looking at it from your perspective and saying like, what's the downside here, I think that's a reasonable stat. Sure. And like, if you raise two and a half million dollars and investors are investing like $50,000 each, that's 50 investors. That's yes. like really freaking cool. That's exactly. like pretty awesome. You can, and when investors invest $50,000, that's not the only time they're going to invest. They're going to keep investing. Totally. So that's, that's pretty impressive. I don't know if we're allowed to do this um, because I know it's exclusive and I know it's only for raise masters members only. Yeah. Um, but there is a retreat coming up down in Miami. Can we that's have true. a sneak peek? Can we, Yes, I do have something coming up real quick. Depending on when this is live, we're going to be launching. Actually, you know what? The website is currently live. I just don't know if it works, but well, <laughs> keep an eye out. Raise Fest is something that we're going to be launching very soon that's available for everyone. And yeah. it's only about capital raising. Um, if you go to the website, it doesn't work right now. Don't hold it against me. We This is the first time I've mentioned it publicly. I'm only saying it because you mentioned it. But um, yeah, we have a retreat coming up for our mastermind members that's in Miami. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Um, and we're doing a lot of the things. So basically 
the retreat is an incubator for our big conference, which is Raise Fest. So we'll have some, we'll talk about marketing, we'll talk about networking, we'll talk about how to underwrite deals and market conditions. And then the best of the best of that will probably present at our conference, which will be like 400 or 500 people. And where is Raise Fest? It's going to be in Louisville, Kentucky, yeah, January maybe. 19th through the 21st. Boom. Louisville, January 19th. Right. Boom. Excellent. That's right. Can you, can you give us a little bit more of a in-depth of what's going on there? Yeah. So basically, very few conferences only focus on raising money. I mean, I don't know how this is the case, but it is. And like, it is the thing that moves the needle in people's businesses. So that's just the nature of the business generally. But also, I love to combine online marketing and systems and processes with this very lucrative skill. And we're going to be the only conference that's going to do it in that capacity. So um, for those that don't know, you know, I have, a, you know, the marketing piece of it is a big piece of what raising capital is. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like the back end automations, that's how we've been able to do raises where we've raised, you know, almost $9 million in 14 days, not because of just brute force calling, 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 not taking no for an answer, but building automated processes that take investors through a customer journey, like results in them giving us $100,000. And I know you're building that right now and have had success doing that as well. And it makes you much, much more scalable and not have to hire like 30 employees. Yeah. And, you know, like the raising capital part was taking a certain amount of my time with the onboarding process and all the video calls and everything. And now I'm putting this like automated system in place is taking much less of my time. It's like, I think I can 10x, 15, 20x with, with yes. systems in place, which is like totally super powerful with me putting in the same effort. Exactly. That's music to my ears because it's 100% true. It may be difficult to hear this if you're just getting started, but we do not work harder for a $10 million raise as we do for a $1 million raise. That's just, maybe we'll do like eight more phone calls. I know that sounds silly, but after about 10 years of work in this business, we figured out, and by the way, for listeners, this is not just a brag. I want to give you the goods as well. If you can figure out the dominoes that you have to knock down to give someone to move forward, you can simply put those dominoes up in front of your dream audience and then knock them down in front of them. So what I mean by dominoes is I mean the fears, concerns, challenges that they have, say them. Don't try to hide from them. Say them. Lean into them. Hey, should you invest in a mobile home park in North Carolina? I know what you're thinking, but hear me out. Blank, 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 blank. Okay, great. Is passive investing a Ponzi scheme? I know what you're thinking, but hear me out, blank, 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 and just knock them down one by one by one. And eventually you've knocked them all down. There's no reason for them not to move forward. You've built a relationship with them in a one too many vehicle, and then the money just comes in. And it, it kind of sounds funny to say that. Yeah. Right. And the, it kind of sounds, it almost sounds just like, yeah, dude, that's way too good to be true, but it actually <laughs> literally is. And, and with what you're saying here, it's not just like, you know, you put a couple of hours in and the money comes rolling in, right? Put the work in and it, it takes Hell a yeah. bit to set this up. And even what I'm doing right now, even though once I'm finished, I'm going to be able to 10, 15, 20 X what I'm doing with the same amount of effort. I'm working my butt off right now to put all this stuff totally. in place and put all these systems in place. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fair exchange, but in my opinion, compared to all of the other ways that I know how to make money, I think <laughs> it's the biggest return on investment. And uh, it's also really cool to help so many people. I really think that's awesome. And I think what we're coming into right now uh, with my opinion of where we're going economically in the next few years and as the decade unfolds, I want to bring as many people with me as possible so they can have more financial freedom, so they can live free, so they can make choices from their heart and soul instead of necessity, which is just not healthy for us. <laughs> totally. 100%. So I think we've covered a lot today, bro. Um, how do people keep the conversation going? How do people join Raise Masters? I got two things for you. If you want to learn a ton about what I know about raising money, you can go to raisingcapitalforrealestate.com. And that's a good way to get my book. And then once you grab the book, you'll be invited to a webinar. You can also go directly to the webinar, which is raisingcapitalforrealestate.com forward slash never dash scramble. And if you're a passive investor and you're interested in kind of our investment thesis, you can go to asymcapital.com. Beautiful. Excellent. We'll have all of those links in the show notes. Hunter, any final words, brother? 
I'm super excited to see what happens with your business over the next 12 months, dude. That's what awesome. I'm excited about. Awesome. Excellent. And I'm super excited to see you in Miami in a, it's probably a couple of weeks now. Totally. Month. <laughs> it's awesome. going to be fun. Thanks a lot, brother. Always appreciate it. Always love your perspective. You're a wealth knowledge. You're a really top bloke. And, uh, you know, look forward to have you back in the future. So thanks a lot. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks a lot, dude. Course. And for all our freedom hackers, until next week, live large, live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio, and I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at Freedom Hack Radio.